Suzuki Roshi said, when you are sitting in the middle of a problem, which is more real to you, your problem or you yourself? The awareness that you are here right now is the ultimate fact. That's kind of the whole talk. I could just get up and leave. (laughs) But you probably would be left with some questions, so I'll say a little bit more. Because we are here, we have this capacity to be aware, to be mindful. We all, by virtue of being human, have that capacity. And because of that capacity, we have an enormous potential to transform our consciousness. We may not be able to make our problem go away, have you noticed? But we may be able to transform our relationship to it, our way of seeing it and our way of being with it. So tonight, I'd like to talk about some of the very specific factors of consciousness which bring that transformation about. This is a talk on what is called the seven factors of enlightenment. I'd like to begin by imagining that we were all going to set out on a journey together a long and adventurous journey into a land where we'd never been before. We might want to bring with us people who have, who we could rely upon for a variety of skills and useful qualities of character and temperament. For example, we might want to have a leader who could oversee everything, who could coordinate everyone and everything in a fair and friendly way. Someone without favorites. A leader like a good parent, patient, tolerant, non-judgmental. We'd also want to have someone with us who was willing to work really hard, really hard, and persist in a steady way through all the difficulties of the journey. Someone really good at enduring and following through in the face of difficulty. We'd also want to have someone good at creative problem solving in the face of the unexpected. Someone able to figure things out and come up with new solutions, new ways of seeing or approaching things when it isn't obvious how to proceed. We'd also really benefit from having someone along who was very optimistic, very good-humored, happy, easygoing, confident that things will work out even when it's not at all obvious how they are going to work out. Someone else it would be good to have along is someone really single-minded, keeping everybody from getting distracted, keeping people reminded of the purpose of the journey, 
somebody able to keep us on track, not allowing lengthy detours or distractions. Also, someone able to stay very calm and balanced and unperturbed in the face of unexpected challenges. And finally, someone who could remind the others of the value of seeing clearly and accepting things as they are, not trying to control the uncontrollable. This would be good company as we explore unknown territory. These seven fictitious companions represent the seven factors of enlightenment, the seven qualities of consciousness that are like our allies on the journey of awakening. What are they? They are, first of all, the quality of mindfulness, like the good parent. Then the qualities of effort, investigation, rapture, concentration, equanimity, and tranquility. These are allies on our journey of awakening. Qualities of consciousness that we can contact and begin to more consciously value in our practice. Earlier in the retreat, we spoke about the hindrances. I probably don't need to remind you what they are. (laughs) But just in case you've forgotten. The forces of craving and aversion in the mind, of restlessness and worry, sloth and torpor and doubt, We call them hindrances because they seem to be obstructive forces of consciousness which keep us bound to our suffering. These seven factors of enlightenment are the liberating forces of consciousness. And it is important to say that they are all present from the very moment we sit down to meditate. It's not like we have to get rid of all the hindrances first, and then maybe in another five years or so of hard practice, if we're lucky, we may bump into a factor of enlightenment. Not at all. They are all there in some form from the moment we sit down. In every moment of mindfulness, they are there. One metaphor I like about this is it's like a flower. It's like the seed or the bud of a flower. All the qualities of the flower are present in the seed or in the bud. Its color, its shape, its fragrance, its size, all are present, only awaiting the right conditions of sun and nutrients and water and temperature to blossom. We are all like this flower. These factors of enlightenment are qualities of consciousness 
waiting to be cultivated and nurtured so that they can manifest in our practice. In talking about them and hearing about them and in knowing what they are, we can begin to recognize them. We can begin to more consciously value them when they appear and appreciate them as allies in our journey. By reflecting on the hindrances and seeing the suffering that they bring, and reflecting on the seven factors and seeing the liberation that they bring, we can see that spiritual life is an expansion of consciousness from the more obstructed and difficult forces of mind to the more beautiful states of awareness and liberation. There is a saying, who is my enemy? Who is my friend? My mind is my enemy. My mind is my friend. Our mind, when we don't know how to work with it, can torment us. Our mind also has the capacity to heal us. We can cultivate qualities of heart and mind which are like healing medicine for the tormented mind. The Buddha said, no other thing do I know which brings so much suffering as an uncultivated and undeveloped mind. No other thing do I know which brings so much happiness as a cultivated and developed mind. So, again, these seven factors, effort, investigation, rapture, concentration, tranquility, equanimity, and mindfulness. These are allies on our journey. You know, there's a lot of talk these days in the field of sports and in the field of health, about being in the zone. You've heard of that, being in the zone, which is like a state of optimal functioning where we are energetically balanced and buoyant. Well, I think of these seven factors of enlightenment as like putting us in the, in the zone spiritually. They show us that awakening is not a matter of just luck, or of having the right guru, or having the right philosophy, blindly believing something, joining a cult, but actually a matter of cultivating and balancing qualities of consciousness. From this perspective, everyone, every human being has the potential for awakening. It is what we choose to cultivate and value in ourselves which creates the optimal conditionings for awakening to occur. So I'd like to go through the seven factors and linger for a bit on each one to describe them in a little bit more detail. Actually, the seven factors are divided into three categories. 
there are three which are called arousing qualities. And they are the qualities of effort, investigation, and rapture. They're what arouse our inspiration and effort. Then there are the three stabilizing qualities, which are that of concentration, tranquility, and equanimity. The one factor which both arouses and balances all the rest is the factor of mindfulness. Mindfulness is the ground or soil out of which the other six are both aroused and brought into balance with each other. So you don't have to remember too much because every moment of mindfulness is a calling forth of all these qualities of consciousness. Even as you are experiencing worry or aversion or fear or thinking or doubt, you are also in your ability to be mindful moment to moment, calling forth all these qualities of balance, of stillness, of ease, of interest, of rapture, of focus. We could say in a way that the hindrances provide most of the material for the content of our stories. The drama, the desire, the ups and the downs, and the on and on. While the seven factors provide a way of relating to all of this, relating to our drama, which help us to be more free in relationship to all the ups and downs. So let's look at each one. The first of the arousing factors is the factor of effort. Without effort, nothing happens. If you hadn't made the effort to come here and all that that entailed, all the details that that entailed of rearranging your life and finding the money and the time and packing your bags and driving here, that was a tremendous amount of effort. Without that effort, you wouldn't be having this experience. You wouldn't be benefiting from all that has occurred here. Effort is what brings our intention and our values into being. We can have all the good intentions in the world, but if we don't make the effort, nothing comes into being, nothing manifests. At its best, effort brings energy. We contact our energy by making effort. With that said, it's also true that we sometimes talk quite a bit about the kind of effort that is required. It has to be an effort that is not too tight, not too striving, not too tense, not too, not too um, focused, but an effort also that is not too loose, not to just kind of sit back and let this happen all by itself. I'll just show up on my cushion and 
you know, catch a few breaths, and I guess that's it, you know. (laughs) It has to be the kind of effort that's balanced. I know early in my practice, I, being quite uninformed, not knowing how to practice, I mentioned uh, another talk that I did some Zen practice. Actually, my very first Buddhist experience (laughs) was a seven-day Rinzai Zen Sashin, which is a retreat with a very traditional Zen master by the name of Sazaki Roshi. This was in the mid-70s, and I went to his center in Mount Baldy near Los Angeles. Well, Rinzai is the most probably macho, martial form of Buddhism that one could possibly ever want or dream up. (laughs) It was a little bit like Zen boot camp. (laughs) Very rigorous, very rigorous. Um, Our schedule began at three in the morning. There was no choice about whether you got up or not. You were dragged out of bed if you didn't appear. So we would appear in the chanting hall for a half hour of very fast and vigorous chanting in Japanese, which really wakes you up. Then you go to see the Roshi for your first interview of the day. We had four interviews a day. And the first one would be at 3.30 in the morning. (laughs) And I, not knowing anything about what I was getting into, I was quite surprised when this robust little man sitting there in his golden robes said to me, what is your Buddha nature when you hear the sound of a bird? At 3.30 in the morning, he said. I think I said something like, I beg your pardon? (laughs) Like, clueless, absolutely clueless. And that was the only thing he ever said to me, the same question. Every time I saw him, he would say the same question, and I would, like, who knows what. He would ring the bell, and that would be the end of it. As I said, there were not too many instructions, but the posture was incredibly significant in this form of practice. You had to sit every... (laughs) Everything, the tongue, the eyes, the hands, everything had to be absolutely perfect or they'd come over and correct you. And it was very rigorous. There was only, uh, I think, one period during the day after lunch. We had a half an hour break. That was a very exciting time in the day <laughs> where you could decide either to take a shower or take a nap or just have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> the rest of the time, you were expected to be alert, tranquil, on time, you know, enlightened with these smart answers to these koans. And it was. It was really rigorous, and I think the only thing that got me through it was my sheer stubbornness. I had not a moment of insight because I was too tense to (laughs) know what was going on, but I did survive through sheer stubbornness. But what 
the point is really that I'm trying to making is that the effort required was simply overwhelming. I just, it was too rigorous for me. So I wandered on and came to Vipassana and it was quite a, amusing to me that some years later after doing um, some periods of intensive Vipassana meditation, in the middle of a three-month course, I realized suddenly that I was making the kind of effort that had been required at Mount Baldy. I was only sleeping four hours a night. I was sitting and walking without breaks. But it was an effortless effort. Why? Because I had found and discovered my own rhythm of practice by following it voluntarily, not forcing it, I grew into it gradually. I was able to make the effort that was in sync with where I was in my practice. That was a real lesson. That effort grows over time, and at first it may seem like really, really hard to make any kind of effort, but eventually we develop a momentum So, right effort. It's a kind of care that we bring to our practice. It's that sense that if you want to grow beautiful flowers, you need to care for them. So, right effort is the care that we bring to our practice. So, when we go home, the effort to sit every day, the effort to come on retreat, it's an understanding that that is what will bring will allow the fruits to appear. The second arousing quality is that of investigation. And this is that quality of interest and real inquiry into discovering for oneself what is true in these teachings. It's that quality of wanting to know, of wanting to test the truth of the teachings in our own experience and discovering for ourselves. The Buddha said over and over again, don't just believe my words. Come see for yourself. For example, we speak about no self. This truth is not at all obvious. We hear the words, but we need also to explore for ourselves in our practice the truth of this. A Tibetan writer explains it this way. He says, It brings no benefit to parrot the examples and statements of others by just saying, it is no self. For example, people may say that there are not any tigers in a place where they are rumored to be. But you may not feel convinced that this is true. Instead, you may be disturbed by doubts about it. But when you yourself have traced the root of mine and have arrived at certainty about it, it's as if you had gone to a place where tigers are said to live and had explored the whole region from top to bottom to see for yourself if there were any tigers. When you don't find any, you are certain 
and from then on you have no doubt about whether or not tigers are there. This quality of investigating in our own experience is the foundation for faith which is verified, faith which is grounded in one's own experience, so that we have this confidence in our understanding. We could say that there are many potential areas for investigating. These questions of what brings suffering, what brings happiness, Is it true that everything changes? What is the nature of self-identification? What are the qualities of loving kindness and compassion and forgiveness and equanimity? What is this law of action and result called karma? None of these are theoretical or metaphysical questions only, but point us to look more deeply into our own experience, to find in our own experience the direction of our liberation. So effort, investigation. The third arousing quality is that called rapture. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Should we have a little rapture? Sharon had to give a talk about rapture one night in the middle of the three-month course when all the heat in this building had gone out. (laughs) She had to come in here and everybody's huddled in their blankets. She had to talk about rapture. We're not having that problem tonight. We're sort of having the opposite. This quality of rapture comes with concentration. It's the quality of lightness of heart, of joy, of ease, of a feeling of real playfulness, of gratitude, of inspiration. It's the feeling that one has that nothing can stick. Nobody else's bad mood or no unexpected difficulty is going to really affect your mood. You're just flowing with a kind of unsticky energy, unobstructed. It's a, I know I've spoken before about India, and I remember one trip where I went to India, and of course India can bring forth one's aversion if one is an aversive type, which I am, and So I remember going there and traveling, you know, through difficulty to reach this teacher that I was going to visit and feeling quite crabby the whole way there. (laughs) Then after spending a few days with him and practicing, I remembered this total transformation in my attitude about India. Suddenly it was no problem, everything seemed totally easy and funny and playful and I felt so much gratitude for being in India, and it was just wonderful. Well, that was the arising of this quality of rapture that made it all very easy. So, effort, investigation, rapture. 
These need to be grounded and balanced. And so the three stabilizing qualities of concentration and tranquility and equanimity come into play. Concentration is that quality of steadiness of focus, one-pointedness, being able to bring our attention back and stay with one thing over time. To cultivate this kind of concentration takes strong resolve, takes effort, takes patience, the ability to keep coming back over and over and over again. But it also builds this power of mind. It builds a power of mind which is able to see more deeply into the way things actually are, to see through the appearance of things, to see how things actually are, to see that the world which we take to be so solid, enduring, is actually transparent, impermanent. So that quality of coming back over and over again, it may seem not like much when we're doing it, but it, it has this capacity to build this power of mind. Then there is the quality of tranquility. Tranquility is sometimes likened to a deep, still pond. You know how when water settles, it becomes very clear. And you can see through the water to the depth. It becomes very still. It is said that this quality of tranquility comes as a result of seeing and accepting things as they are by allowing everything to settle, to just be as it is in its own time, without a need to control or change it. This quality of tranquility just begins to be cultivated. The Tao Te Ching says, do you want to improve the world? I don't think it can be done. The world is sacred. It cannot be improved. If you tamper with it, you'll ruin it. If you treat it like an object, you'll lose it. The master sees things as they are without trying to control them. She lets them go their own way and resides at the center of the circle. So tranquility reveals the kind of hidden order of the universe. We see how everything has its rightful place. There is a quality of stillness, of silence and depth. Then there is the quality of equanimity which is sometimes likened to 
the quality of consciousness that is as stable and unmovable as a mountain, the stability of a mountain, very rooted in the earth, so that all kinds of weather and can come and forces of nature can affect the mountain, but nothing basically moves. There's this quality of balance, of stability. Openness to all things without being moved by any of them. It is a quality of balance, not falling into extremes, extremes of mood, outlook, opinions, emotions. Quality of staying in the middle, calm, allowing, spacious, not indifferent, but allowing. And then, finally, there is the quality of mindfulness, which, as I said before, is the quality like the good parent, which arouses and balances all the rest. To be mindful, we could say, is to remember, is to return to ourselves, to remember the fact that we are here, to come back from distraction to a direct experience of the present moment. What is the value of being present? For one thing, it's all that we ever have. Do we have anything else but the present? Where is the past? Where is the future? It exists only in thought. All we have is this moment. When we come back to the present, we are aligning ourselves, you could say, with what is. And what is, is sanity. Coming back to the present with mindfulness aligns us with all the six other factors of enlightenment which are the ground of intuitive intuitive knowing and insight. When we have a problem, what do we usually do? We think about it. You know, we try to analyze it. We try to figure it out. We try to read a book about it, or we talk to a friend about it, or we just want to forget about it. It's too much. I can't deal with it. Let me distract myself. It seems that we do almost all of these things before we remember to come back to ourselves and look at the problem, what we call the problem, in the moment. Mindfulness offers us the opportunity to directly experience the problem in the present moment as thoughts, as feelings, as sensations. When we do this, it's like we are desolidifying or unfreezing the apparent solidity and reality of what we call our problem. Because problems have a way of seeming very solid, very frozen, very 
stuck. We think about, we conceptualize our experience, we construct a story. And then we repeat the story over and over and over again, and this is the problem. But do you see, we have created it ourselves. We don't have as much faith in the direct experience of what we call the problem, but a lot of our practice here this week has been pointing you over and over again to seeing how we can view, how we can experience the problem in the present moment with with mindfulness. We discover that this actually is a way of taking care of our problems through this direct experience. We could say that mindfulness is like a mirror. It is not interpretive. It's not for anything. It's not against anything. It doesn't have opinions. It doesn't judge us. It simply clearly reflects to us how things actually are in our moment-to-moment experience. So we begin to rely more and more on this quality of simply being present with what is as the most direct solution to our problems. So these qualities of consciousness, effort, investigation, rapture, concentration, tranquility, and equanimity. By cultivating these seven factors, we are transforming our way of relating to our problems. They bring us into a deeper knowing of the suchness of things as they are, free of all of our concepts about them. They bring us to a deeper knowing of the richness and essential freedom of our being. So perhaps we could sit together for a few moments. This talk was given by Anna Douglas at Insight Meditation Society on July 23, 1998. It is an offering of the Dharma. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.